This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today is Hugh O'Connell, who is a political correspondent with Media Huis, which you may know uh, from the Sunday Independent, the independent.ie and the Independent newspaper. Hugh has been covering politics in this country for how many years now? Nearly 10 years. A decade. A decade. And if a week is a long time in politics, <laughs> you've seen enough. A decade is a lifetime. <laughs> a decade is a lifetime. Well, it is for some people. Um, and the reason I'm doing this episode is because I've had a lot of you asking me, what is the difference between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael? Who are the Green Party? What do Sinn Féin stand for? When you hear something in the media, someone in opposition saying, if we were in government, we would give you free childcare and free healthcare and free houses how much can that be believed and where does all that money come from? So I've asked you to sit with me and break down each of the major political parties in this country, where they, what they stand for and where they sit sort of socially and economically, if that's not too much to ask you. Well, we'll give it a go. Fantasy cabinet. <laughs> Who, what party would you like to start with? Well, I suppose we, we should start with the two political parties that have been the most dominant uh, in the state since its, uh, since its inception. Uh, 100 years ago, and that is Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Mm-hmm. Um, Fianna Fáil has been uh, the dominant party for much of the existence of the state, uh, and I suppose the second most dominant then has been, has been Fine Gael. But these, you know, often the question is asked is these two parties are in coalition with each other right now, but, and it's the first time they've ever been in government with each other, uh, along with the, the Green Party. Um, but what is the difference between them? And I suppose the difference between them is the manner in which they, they came to being. And quite simply, uh, Fianna Fáil were on the pro-treaty side. Uh, this is the treaty which basically created Northern Ireland and, and split the island uh, between the six counties of the north and, and the 26 counties here in the south. Uh, and uh, so Fine Gael were, were the pro-treaty side and Fianna Fáil were the anti-treaty side. So Fianna Fáil so, wanted 32 counties and... Yeah, I mean that's, that's at its for- yeah that's at its most kind of basic, I suppose. And and bear in mind these were not parties that existed at the time, but rather supporters of the anti-treaty side uh, came to uh, create Fianna Fáil, and that was led by Eamon de Valera, which uh, who founded the party, I think, in 1926. And Fianna Gael emerged a, f- uh, a little later in amalgamation of various different political parties, all of whom were broadly seen as pro-treaty. Um, is that in like if you're 18 and you've just gotten your first ballot know, right? like do you really care about <laughs> no. the treaty what I, do well I, I don't think so I think people if you're 18 you probably do care uh, about you know why are we an island of six six and a half million people and we're split into two jurisdictions I mean and you know is there a case to be made for a united Ireland um, but you probably don't care about a treaty that was negotiated a hundred years ago do you not care more about like why you're not going to be able to buy a house or yeah, why... You do. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, yeah. So and so do, do Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael as a party, so like maybe... Parties. As, par- <laughs> as parties, each as a party, mm. do they still stick to that as how they're different or are they, now that they're in coalition, are they sort of the same? Yeah, I mean, I think that the supporters of both parties would argue that politically they're a little different. So Fianna Fáil would consider themselves centre-left and Fianna Gael would probably be on the centre-right. Uh, Fianna Fáil would be... Socially or with money? Well, so let's break that down a little bit, right? So Fianna Fáil would be considered, I think... I mean, all parties were pretty pretty socially conservative in this state up until quite recently, let's be honest, when you think about the uh, the marriage referendum. Conservative 15, being right. Yeah, being right, being anti 
uh, anti-abortion, anti-abortion, anti-gay rights, anti-gay anti- rights, anti um, you know anti-women working, for example. Yes, okay, you know? yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, pretty pretty conservative. Um, but but broadly, I think on, on the economic side of things, Fianna Fáil would consider themselves uh, centre left. So they would consider the state having a greater role in things like the provision of housing, for example. That the state would be able to would be more supportive of people who are not in employment, more supportive of people who need access to healthcare. And Fianna Gael would be more centre right in that they would believe that the market should kind of figure those things out, so that the, you know the, that, that they wouldn't necessarily believe in, in is as big state intervention in housing as as is the as Fianna Fáil would, for example. So the state shouldn't intervene in housing so you just work and you earn your money mm. and so let's say to make it very simple Fianna, Fianna Gael believe that we should tax people a little bit less so they get to keep more mm-hmm. of the money that they more earn every day yeah. and then they get to choose what they spend that on so Correct. if they need to go to a hospital they can spend it on that if they want mm-hmm. to buy a house they can spend it on that mm-hmm. whereas Fianna Fáil would be slightly more to the left mm-hmm thinking actually we're going to take a little bit more of money from you mm-hmm. a little bit more tax mm-hmm. and then we'll make we'll try to ensure that there are provisions for housing for health so that if you don't have a lot of money mm-hmm. it's there for you yeah and they, they but there wouldn't be left like Fianna Fáil aren't as far left as like they're not very left are they they're right in the centre yeah, I mean, you know, I suppose as Fianna Fáil has evolved, it has been, uh, you see, the pro- I guess the, the difficulty with having kind of a left-right debate within Ireland is that, like, Fianna Fáil was the dominant party in the country for most of the last century. I mean, it was uh, in government more often than it wasn't. Uh, it, like, even up until, uh, you know, 2011, it had been in power for 14 years. And prior to that, it had only been out of power for, I think, five years. Uh, no, three years. And you know, and then it was kind of in governments for you know the the vast vast majority of the decades before that. Um, so it was the dominant political force. So it tried to then be the party uh, for everyone. For everyone. And when you look at, for example, the financial crisis in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine, one of the reasons why we had that was because Fianna Fáil was far more liberal when it came to the market than they traditionally would have expected to have been. So they let, for example housing take off and this major housing bubble they reduced uh, ta- they reduced the tax base so they basically reduced taxes to such an extent that there was very little tax coming in and they were reliant on one form of tax which was uh, stamp duty from the number of new houses being bought and, and sold um, and that created the situation where we had a financial crisis and we needed a, a, a big bailout was that kind of, a decade so, ago. But you're saying that that's kind of off-brand for them, like based on what it, we've just discussed yeah, of centre-left. It would have been pretty have been. off-brand for them, yeah. It, it would have been something, I suppose, that they they just, you know, they were seen as a party that got into bed with developers, uh, property developers, and that they created the market conditions for developers to flourish, but that, you know, ultimately we built too many houses in the wrong places. And we had a property bubble that couldn't last. It blew up and we all paid the consequences for that. And we have been paying the consequences. And, and you and I, pay, and our people of our generation, pay the consequences and for that. I mean, in fairness, Fianna Fáil are paying the consequences of that. Was that Electorally a party? Did, yeah. Like, is, do you think that was a party decision or the decision of... Do you know what I mean? So now yeah. Fianna Fáil are tarnished with that brand of like, mm. y- you caused the housing crisis and you mm. bailed out the banks. Mm. Was that the decision of a few maybe slightly more centre-right members of Fianna Fáil um, than, than, a, than a party decision of like, let's go this way. I think it was a decision of the people at the at the head of that party, like Bertie Ahern was the dominant political figure. He won three elections. He was Taoiseach uh, for uh, 11 years. Um, he was the dominant political figure and he dictated that that, that, right, that okay. policy. Um, and I think there was a variety of reasons for that. One of the primary ones was it was very, very popular. Um, he won three elections in a row. 
And the reason he did that was because his policies were popular. If we say the Fianna Gael mm-hmm. are slightly more centre-right, so mm. they, on a small, like they make less social provisions and let the market dictate things, um, would that have been, would they have done anything different in... No. In that period? No, I no. don't think... I mean, if you go back to 2007, the general election manifesto of Fine Gael was even more of a, a promising, more of a giveaway in terms of uh, tax cutting and the provision of... Uh, and, and strangely enough, actually, provision of more public services like extra guards and extra teachers and so on uh, than, than Fianna Fáil. Um, it was more kind of expansionary, I suppose, than Fianna Fáil. So that meant that... Um, I, I don't think it would have been any different, I'd say, Fine Gael. And they, ne- they, they nearly... They not, didn't really nearly do... They, they, kind, they could have won that election in mm-hmm. 2007. And things might have been a little bit different, um, but I don't think it would have prevented the sort of collapse that we had um, in 2008. So is it fair to say that, because this is kind of what I see from online, which is not Mm. always a reliable place, that (laughs) um, wealthier people, potentially who own businesses, Mm -hmm. who earn like substantial incomes, Mm -hmm. are more likely to vote for people like Fine Gael mm-hmm. because Fine Gael's policies protect their income and will keep tax lower. Yes. That's, okay. that's yeah. I mean, if you if you look at all of the polling data, it would show that people in the kind of ABC1 bracket are more likely to vote for Fine Gael than they are for another political party like Fianna Fáil or Sinn Féin or, or the Greens because you're exactly that, because they believe that Fine Gael um, will keep their taxes lower uh, and will create conditions within the economy that are more beneficial to them than any other political party in the in the uh, in the country. Okay, so then we have Fine Gael who are slightly more liberal than them but marginally. Then Fianna Fáil. Then sorry, Fianna Fáil who are more uh, economically I don't know, generous or like well not generous because you're taking money from Yeah, they would be I mean like Fianna Fáil as I said would be more of a sort of a a, a would be considered more of a sort of a centre-left party who believe that perhaps people should pay a little bit more tax um, but you know, did you know the party did kind of lose the run of themselves a little bit during the the, the run up to the financial crisis and reduced the tax base to such an extent that like we we got into major trouble and needed you know outside assistance to pay the bills and pay the doctors, the nurses, the teachers, and Fine Gael, I think you know broadly historically would have believed that the state should be a little bit smaller, that people should pay a little bit tax, that, that we should have kind of pro business, pro enterprise market conditions. But they've kind of changed a little bit on that in recent years. I mean, COVID, for example, changed everything. We spent 40 billion euro on the provision of, uh, you know, social assistance to businesses, to workers, to everyone to keep the lights on when when the country was shut down. Um, and, you know, they, they have a leader in Leo Varadkar who's spoken about, you know, we need to just basically maintain health spending that we created during COVID-19, which is not a very traditionally Fine Gael position. Now, he's tacked a little bit away from that now in recent weeks where he's sort of began speaking a little bit more to those that kind of cohort of voters that you identified there, those kind of people in the, uh, the higher income brackets who maybe have their own business or work in a very well-paid well job and want to pay a little bit less tax. And he's very much focusing on that message of reducing taxes, whereas Fianna Fáil will be much more talking about we need to spend more on services because there's a, a shortage of services, there's a shortage of, you know, uh, beds and hospitals that we need to tackle waiting lists all these kind of things but this seems to be a really important piece that doesn't get spoken about so Fianna Fáil are saying we need to we need more hospital beds we need more Mm. nurses we need more doctors Sinn Féin and other opposition parties are saying 
you're not doing enough mm. we need more housing we mm. need this we need that if we were in government we'd have all of these problems fixed and no one talks about well how Sinn Féin or other oppositions how are you going to pay for that Yeah, and other people like normal citizens are calling for it as well like I want a house I want to be able to do these things but when it comes to taxation mm. don't understand that well that's how we pay for it like you, you will be giving us more of the money that you earn mm. so that we can spread it among So Sinn Féin for example and other parties kind of seen more to the left would argue that there is a, a cohort of people out there who we could tax more that people who earn over 100,000 euro a year under over 150,000 euro a year that So these could, people who are voting for Fine Gael because they Well earn. yeah some of them are if, if certainly um, but I mean I think the, you know, the electorate has kind of gone a little bit all over the place in right, the last okay. few elections I mean and we can talk about that in a little bit but yeah I mean generally people who would be considered Fine Gael voters um, they would be people who we should tax a little bit more um, in order to pay for these kind of things. So, so Sinn Féin believe that if you if you tax people on higher incomes a little bit more, and you're not ask, and, and they would argue we're not asking them to pay a huge amount more, and also if we tax kind of assets a little bit more, if we tax pe- if people who have a second home, that they should will ab- will abolish the property tax, but will tax people who own a second home, um, that that would be a way of creating more income to uh, spend more on the provision of services. The counter argument to that is mm-hmm. that if you do that, you make the economy less competitive and you get a lot of um, people may- maybe potentially leaving the country or just, you know, their businesses become unviable because they're paying too much tax and they have to shut them down. And that contributes to uh, you know reducing the tax take overall and potentially putting the economy into trouble. But Sinn Féin would argue that they're asking people just to pay a little bit more so that they can spend more on the provision of services. But when we look at then, so this is kind of slightly off the point to okay. the description of each of the parties, but when we look to, it doesn't seem to be that money is the problem. Like, for example, mm. the waiting list, the health service, let's just take health. Mm-hmm. We've thrown so much money at health yeah. in the last while. Like, I don't think that Sinn Féin or any other party could throw any more money at it and that would be the solution. It doesn't seem to be money. That's no, the I think you're right. But, I mean, that is a very good point. Uh, so then maybe it comes down to policy choices. Um, but, you know, in health, the policy choices are... Uh, it's interesting, actually, health policy, because about five years ago, all of the political parties came together and they came up with a policy called Slauncher Care, which was this idea that we remove private health care from um, the Irish public hospital system and that we have a, a proper... Uh, state-funded state health system uh, that we don't have half the population reliant on private health insurance, for example. Um, Now, that was agreed to by all of the political parties, but its implementation has been so slow as to be negligible and there's been kind of huge political rows and rows between, you know, the health minister and his senior civil servants and uh, people in the HSC and all that. And then it's, it's you know, far too complicated to get into now here, I think. But, I mean, the, the net effect of it has been that there has been no real desire to overhaul healthcare in the manner in which was envisaged by Sláinte Care. No um, political appetite for it? No political appetite, no political, no, no political appetite, no political will. The HSE uh, slow to implement it because they don't believe it's, it's necessarily the right course of action. Um, so all of these kind of log jams creating a situation where still, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a, a large number, cohort of the population uh, have private health insurance, want to retain their private health insurance. And that's actually, you know, the, the lack of political will is in part motivated by the fact that a lot of people who vote for the likes of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they have their private health insurance and they will be loath to give it up. 
um, because they believe it's the, it's a safety net that they need in the event that they get sick. So that has meant that you know on health policy, even though all of the parties are agreed that this is the, the strategy, very few are seem interested in, in implementing it. Because ultimately, whoever's in power is just thinking about how they can stay in power. And if their voters are not going to be happy about a decision they bring in, they're less likely to do it, which yeah. I think is the ultimate flaw of politics. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, it's, a, it's, you know, you could argue it's a very cynical way to look at politics, but absolutely. I mean, like the, the, the aim of people who get into political life is, you know, they will say that it's to make the country a better place, make the world a better place. And there's a little bit of that. But I mean, you know, there is ambition involved in it as well. I mean, but it's if, also if, if you're putting yourself before the voters and you're saying, I want you to vote for me and you have to get thousands of people to vote for you, then, you know, you, you, you have a little bit of a, I want to say an ego, but certainly you have a little bit of personal ambition. And that all you know, contributes towards, I think, a, a system in which politicians, they, do, they, they don't like to do things that make them unpopular, for sure, yeah. Which, yeah, it's just really frustrating when you see, like, objectively, like, the, we're recording today, mm-hmm. temperatures are going to be higher than they've been in 135 years, apparently, mm-hmm. in some places. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we can, ob- uh, like, objectively see that there is a climate crisis. Mm-hmm. And yet, some rural TDs know that if they support a ban on burning and cutting turf, mm-hmm. they will not get re-elected. So yes. even though it is the right, objectively right thing to do for yeah. the planet... Mm-hmm their seat is at stake. They would tell you that is it the right thing to do for the um, you know for the rural dweller who needs the the turf to heat their home in winter you know because so they can't get because they can't get access to a grant to retrofit their home or they can't afford to retrofit their home to, to make it warmer in, into winter. So I like understand that, but then you bring yeah. logic into it and it's like okay so one person who can't <laughs> afford this Absolutely. is going to continue No you're to right burn. I mean look there's unquestionably the planet is burning it is on fire we have a major climate crisis and there are hard political choices to be made arising out of that and there are there are there is a problem within this government in particular, and we can get into it if you want, with the uh, those hard choices having to be made. The well, program for uh, government is very ambitious in terms of trying to get people, trying to get our overall carbon emissions, I think, uh, more, more than halved by 2030, I think. Uh, but doing that requires hard political choices, like banning the sale and I'm not uh, here the to cutting and the sale of, of turf. turf. I mean, yeah. that's one of a number, you know, yeah. and that's Eamon a small, Ryan is talking today sm- about yeah. culling the national herd, but I, that's a small thing. And I don't like criticising politicians very much mm. because it's a really difficult thing mm. to make these hard decisions. Mm. What does wreck my head mm. is opposition who don't have to make any hard decisions, whose job it is. And this is the same when Fianna Fáil were in opposition, they were the, doing the same thing. Whereas, yeah. you know, you can tell now the Pierre Stardy, who is the... Um, who's in Sinn Féin, is already probably writing his criticisms of the budget mm. that Pascal Donoghue hasn't even made yet because that's just his job. It's I just to criticise. One of the things that I always notice about Budget Day is that um, after the government deliver the budget, the opposition get up and they read from a script. Yeah, so they, they haven't, haven't heard They it. haven't written that in the previous 40 minutes. They might have added little, little bits and pieces to it, but they are generally reading from a script that would have been written days, weeks, months in advance. Yeah. So, okay, so we have Fianna Gael. They're slightly to the right. Uh, then we have Fianna Fáil, their centre tipping like, so if you tipping imagine left. like, yeah, a big cross, mm. they're in the centre, slightly tipping left. Sinn Féin are not near the centre, they're just left, mm. is that mm. correct? Um, yeah, I think that Sinn Féin would see themselves as a left wing, kind of so- slightly socialist party, yeah. And take Sinn Féin out of it. would have been in, in, in socialism. Um, I, and I, just to say, I think that it's important to say as well about Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, 
that, and Fianna Fáil in particular, that Sinn Féin and other people in the opposition would say that Fianna Fáil are centre-right, that they're a right-wing party. And okay. they'd argue that because of the, the policies that led to the, the financial crisis that we talked about earlier. Right, OK. So we're saying that they're left, but they're probably... But all the people would say that they're right. Yes. Um, and typically, like, if you take Sinn Féin or any of the titles out of it, what does a left-wing party in general kind of stand for? Like, if we just get break it down into left and right wing politics what is left so broadly they would they uh, go going back to what we a little bit of what we discussed earlier they would argue for um left wing policies that would include you know uh, higher taxes on people with higher incomes um and the greater provision of state services more spending on public services um at its most extreme they would argue that um you know that everything should be nationalized it should be owned by the people owned by the state so you know everything from public transport to uh obviously healthcare um you know everything education childcare child all of it so um, it should all be owned by the state and then the mm. state decides how much it costs. But at the moment, mm. what we have is like private providers of mm. of childcare. So then they can yeah. set the price mm-hmm. and that's how... Mm-hmm. Now, the state is, is intervening in that a lot more in recent years. But yeah, I mean, we didn't really do anything about childcare in this country for decades because we thought that women would just look after the children and wouldn't go to work. Uh, or rather, that those were the, the, the society in which we existed created yes. those conditions. Therefore, we didn't have any sort of state... Uh, provision for childcare. So then we, you know, as gradually as women entered the workforce and more and more people, more and more women came into the workforce and needed people to look after the children, we had all these private providers popping up. Um, so to go back to the Sinn Féin thing, they would say we should have like a, a, a and Labour as well, who we can talk about, they would argue that we need state-led childcare, state-run childcare. So, so both Labour and Sinn Féin are for are they so also so that's economically like they're mm. sort of left tax people and mm-hmm. provide services socially then are they left wing which would be more liberal yeah um well the labor party would always have have been pretty socially liberal um and would have are you know would have been campaigning i mean labor's current leader ivana batrick was campaigning for abortion um access to abortion in ireland in the 90 90- 1980s, 1990s, when it was totally banned here. So that gives you an idea, I think, of, of a lot of how a lot of people in the Labour Party think about those issues. Sinn Féin is a little more different because up until the middle of the uh, the, the 2010s, they would have been a very pro-life party. Um, they would have had, uh, and, and Martin McGuinness, who's the former uh, de facto deputy leader of Sinn Féin, he died uh, five years ago, he would have said that Sinn Féin is very much a pro-life party. Now, it has liberalised its position quite considerably, along Why? with other political parties in recent years, because that's where the electorate are. Look at the result of the abortion referendum. So um, that, does that, is, is that a good, like, because in one way it's, you know, I don't, I don't ever think it's great to have a person or an entity mm. have a really calcified view on anything that they will never change their mm. mind. But on another level, it's like, well, if you're just going to go where the wind blows, yeah. and I don't mean just Sinn Féin, I mean yeah, also yeah. Fianna Fáil or whoever's yeah. changing their mind about whatever. It's like, well, I don't know how to follow you if I don't know what direction you're going to go, depending mm-hmm. on how the wind blows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting perspective. I mean, when it comes to the issue of abortion, I suppose all political parties have liberalised their view uh, in recent years. And But, but you know, Sinn Féin, it, you see, even Sinn Féin at the moment, that their policy in the north in relation to abortion um, is slightly different from uh, from from the South, I think, um, and it's quite complex, and I, I 
couldn't really get into the specifics of it because I'm not massively across it. But certainly, you know, I think that Sinn Féin would be worried about certain socially conservative voters in Northern Ireland fleeing from them. So they feel they have to adopt a position that is slightly more uh, pro-life, anti-abortion than it would be here in the South, where their leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, has always, I think, been on the, the side of wider access to, to, to abortion. Oh, and has moved the party in that direction. I mean, that is that is one thing to say is that she she more than anyone I think has has helped move Sinn Fein to a position of of being um, being more pro choice, pro pro abortion. Um, and but you're right, th- th- there's kind of a political calculation in that as well because voters, as we saw with the the referendum, favour wider access to abortion in this country that we have well, now. There is also something to be said for like if something passes a referendum mm. you have to take it like okay well this is the will of the people absolutely, now so yeah, there's no point yeah. in us banging no, this absolutely. drum. But, but Sinn Féin would have campaigned for the, the, the passing of that, that yes, referendum. Yes very much know. so. I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Rockwell Financial and they have a special offer for basically listeners. Rockwell Financial protect but also enhance the wealth of SME owners. If you own a small or medium enterprise or you are a sole trader in Ireland, Rockwell Wealth Management will protect and enhance your wealth and they have a free consultation for basically listeners. So call them up, tell them you're a basically listener and they will give you a one-to-one consultation for free. Your heart works 24-7. So if you're worried about chest pain, palpitations or breathlessness, it's really reassuring to know that expert heart care works 24-7 too. The Matter Private Network in Dublin is the only private hospital in Ireland offering urgent cardiac care all day, every day. That's weekends, bank holidays, even through the night. It's a unique service for patients who are worried about their heart and want to be seen quickly by heart experts at one of Ireland's leading hospitals for cardiology care. If you're worried about your heart, remember this number, 1800 247 999. You'll speak directly to a cardiac specialist nurse at Matter Private and they'll talk to you about your symptoms. And if you need to come to hospital, you'll get a thorough cardiac assessment as soon as you arrive. If you need treatment or a procedure, the cardiology team will work out the most appropriate plan for you. Even if you need treatment the same day, this will be arranged immediately. For urgent cardiac care at Matter Private Network Dublin, call 1-800-247-999 or visit matterprivate.ie for more information. For Tech's Sake is a podcast that goes beyond the hype of tech developments to bring listeners the knowledge they need to make informed decisions. And it's hosted by me, Elaine Burke, a science and technology journalist. And me, Jenny Darmody, editor of Silicon Republic. Each episode, we're joined by an expert to answer our probing questions to discover what's good tech and what's just tech for tech's sake. And we've had some amazing guests this season, including roboticist Neve Donnelly. She was just named Woman of the Year in STEM by Irish Toddler. We also had Ireland's AI ambassador, Dr. Patricia Scanlon, Stripe CTO, David Singleton, and Bobby Healy, CEO of Irish drone company, MANA. And last season, we had Abiba Perhane, who was recently appointed to a UN advisory panel on AI. We certainly know how to pick them. And if you want to be in the know on tech, robotics, drones, AI, and what have you, on a deeper and more human level, be sure to subscribe. Can we talk about Sinn Féin um, outside of the issue of abortion Mm. as a party that is in the North and South? Mm -hmm. Because that confuses me sometimes. Because sometimes what they're doing in the North is completely different or or is totally the same as what Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens are doing down Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. And yet in opposition down here, Mary Lou and others are criticising the government for what they are doing mm-hmm. but Sinn Féin are doing it in the North and are they the same party? Is it... Like, well they are that? but I mean they operate within a, a, a different political system that 
you know, is is unique to, to Northern Ireland. I mean, you had Neil Richmond on here recently, and he was talking about how Northern Ireland and Stormont and the Assembly and the Executive, they're all sort of, you know, they all have to be constituted in a specific way to be representative of the nationalist and the and the unionist community. Um, and also, you know, Northern Ireland is not a completely independent state. It's, uh, you know, reliant on decisions that are made in Westminster in terms of funding of, of 10 to 12 billion euro earth pounds a year. So uh, they don't have total control over all of this sort of tax uh, collection policies, to, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, the, you know, healthcare and, and so on. So that requires Sinn Féin, I suppose, they would argue that they, they get a lot of decisions forced on them by the, the Tory government in London who are, you know, they are very hostile to, to because of, for historic reasons and the hunger strikes and Margaret Thatcher and all of that. Um, so th- that has created a situation, I think, where Sinn Féin feel that they have to adopt certain policies that they wouldn't necessarily adopt in the South. But also, you know, being in government requires tough choices. And they have been in government in Northern Ireland for, um, you know, f- for for 20 years on and off. Power sharing has collapsed at various points. But, I mean, since the Good Friday Agreement, they have they have been in government uh, quite a bit. And it has required them to make difficult decisions that are required when you're in government. And they haven't had that in the South because in the South, they've really only emerged as a political force in the last kind of 10 years. Prior to that, they were a very small party who weren't electorally successful in the South at all. What do you think um, has happened? What has made that change? Mary well, Lou is a huge part uh, of it. Mary Lou is part of it, but I think it's it's more to do with the fact that voters have become increasingly disen. Uh, disenfranchised and, and unhappy with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, the two parties who were the dominant political parties in the state. So for Fianna, but they, they got very upset with Fianna Fáil for, for good reason after the financial crisis and the 2011 election where Fianna Fáil went from 70 plus seats down to 20. Um, and they equally have grown um, unhappy with Fine Gael because they believe that Fine Gael just adopted the, the Fianna Fáil policy of austerity and uh, and uh, you know, and that they've done nothing to solve the housing crisis in ten years. So you've seen Fianna Fáil go from a position of seventy-seven seats in the twenty eleven election down to thirty-five in the last general in the last general election in twenty twenty. So that gives you an indication of voters no longer putting their faith in the uh, political powerhouses of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and instead they want to. Uh, something different. So is it and like anyone alter- but? And it then is, yes. If Sinn you look Fein at stepped it, in there. There's, there's polling data which shows that the, when voters are asked, why do you support Sinn Féin? I think it's 49% say because they're not Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Wow. Which is pretty astonishing, right? Because... But there uh, are also people before... Like, there are other parties that there could are, be There are, but I mean, that. Sinn Féin, I suppose, project themselves as a political force uh, and a political alternative to voters that more comp- in a more compelling manner than the other political parties, like Labour, and we can talk about the reasons why Labour are where they are, but they project themselves as, as, as an alternative. They have people like Ono Brin, who says he'll fix the housing crisis and he'll help people get a home, you know, and he'll fix the rental crisis and so on and so forth. But they don't... A bright, articulate spokespeople who don't have an association with the IRA and all the, the you know, the, the bad things that, that Sinn Féin and the IRA were involved in, um, and, and people who, I, I suppose, espouse an alternative that voters find very compelling. But, all, but, but crucially, they're not Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, and they're not, too, they're not a political party that have broken promises, whereas Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael 
have a multitude of, of promises broken in the. In There's the eyes definitely of the a sense of like, well, sure, look, give them a chance; it couldn't be worse. Well, that 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 is also a thing, right? I mean, they've never been in government in the south of Ireland, um, so why shouldn't they? be given a chance to, to see how they could run the country and they say they're preparing for government and there's you know even after the last election there was a hashtag Mary Lou for Taoiseach you know there's a there's a feeling amongst uh, people who vote for Sinn Féin and, and people who support Sinn Féin that they should be given a chance to, to try and fix a crisis that I mean particularly with housing which has all sorts of secondary effects across society Um you know, that they should be given a chance to fix it because what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have been doing for the last 10 years hasn't Just worked. It's not working. And so when we talk about earlier on, like, if you're 18, do you really care about the treaty and do you really care about <laughs> yeah. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and our Michael Collins and Eamon de Valera? Mm. If you're 18, do you care about the IRA? Do you care about pre-Good Friday Agreement? How, how much should you care about that? And, and Well... Uh, I would I would argue you should care about that. Um, you should care about history. You should care about where political parties come from, where politicians come from, their background, their beliefs, their core beliefs. Um, but it's it's not unreasonable for voters not to care about that. I mean, the Good Friday Agreement is twenty five years old next year, and but at its most brittle since its inception. Yes, but that's but I mean, more because of our it is stuff. yeah. But I mean, it's 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 brittle and and you know politically it's 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 difficult. But people aren't blowing each other up to the extent to which they, they are were. burning effigies of um, Michelle O'Neill no on. that's true yeah there's a lot of hate there's there. a lot of hate there's a lot of hate um, but the sort of violence that uh, you know I would have kind of very vaguely remembered seeing growing up as a child on the news that's um, not there it's not there no and so in those circumstances and the whole there's a whole generation of people who've grown up in Northern Ireland at, at peace basically more or less Um and there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for the fact that Sinn Féin played a key role in bringing that about. Um, and Jerry Adams, um, the former leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou's predecessor, he he helped deliver that by, I suppose, convincing the armed wing of Sinn Féin, the IRA, who committed the most appalling atrocities for 20, 30 years in Northern Ireland uh, and the South and on mainland UK, um, that, they, that he helped bring that violence to an end. He helped bring the more militant element of, of the Republican movement to, to heal um, and to a situation where they bought into the peace process. So, you know, I think that the issue that some of Sinn Féin's opponents would have was the, the extent to which they tried to justify those atrocities and they believed that it was in the cause of a war, um, whereas the reality is slightly different. There wasn't um, widespread support for the IRA's campaign. There was support amongst a, a you know a significant cohort of people, but there wasn't popular support for it. Um, and you know they ar argued they were engaged in, in a legitimate war. Um, some other a lot of other people would see it as a, a violent campaign of terrorism. So when we you know we know what Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are like in government, mm -hmm. we've seen it. Mm -hmm. Have Sinn Féin been explicit apart from? just being, positioning themselves as the antithesis of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael mm -hmm. and just vote for somebody else that isn't them. Have they been explicit about what their government would look like, why people should vote for them in, 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 a, in a meaningful way in terms of, you know, if you have concerns about the IRA, about like what they do in justice or what they, apart from like, we will build houses. Mm. Have they given a more uh, robust... Um. Uh, on housing, certainly, um, and we won't fixate on housing, but they certainly have offered a, an alternative in terms of greater state involvements uh, in the provision of social housing, 
um, affordable housing, uh, things like uh, a rent freeze for three years, uh, a tax relief that would give a person back one month's rent. Uh, or tax credit, I think I think it is. Um, but in other areas, no, I, I I couldn't really tell you what Sinn Fein's justice policy is. I mean, I haven't, you know, I, I'm aware of their policies broadly, yes, yeah, yeah. but I mean, I haven't I haven't gone in depth into their justice policy. But I mean, no, nothing on the face of it, nothing strikes me as particularly revelatory about their justice policy. I think that any party that might go into government with Sinn Fein might have concerns about them going into the Department of Justice because, for example, they don't believe or that they have abstained and until recently opposed. Uh, legislation which underpins the Special Criminal Court, which is uh, a non-jury court, which has been criticised by some human rights organisations, but has also been responsible for uh, convicting some of the most dangerous criminals that have ever uh, existed in this country, and has played a very important role in in, in tackling that sort of really vicious, horrendous uh, crime that has devastated communities across the country. Um, but, you know, one thing I think that Sinn Féin hasn't been scrutinised on but will be scrutinised on is their climate policy um, they're against the carbon tax uh, just recently But can you be against the carbon tax when it's kind of coming from Europe isn't it? Like, uh, I, I'm not sure I don't think Like we what, have a European yeah, mandate to meet these criteria There is a European mandate to meet these criteria but it doesn't necessarily specify the extent the way to which you go about it okay. now, You can be against carbon tax I mean, Some Green Party people are against carbon tax because they believe it harms poorer households uh, who could you know can ill afford to, to meet the, um, the cost and believe there are more uh, I suppose socially progressive ways of, of tackling um, Okay fossil fuel emissions. But if you take, for example, um, the, 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 the global commitment to uh, more than half our carbon emissions by 2030, within that there are sectoral emissions ceilings, and these are basically the uh, each sector of the economy, so agriculture, transport, health, and so on, all have to commit to reducing their carbon emissions by a certain amount in the next um, 10 years, less than 10 years, in fact. Now, there's a global commitment to 51% and overall commitment to 50%. And within that, there are different sectors that have to commit to upper, up, like, so take agriculture, for example, has to commit to either between 22% and 30% reduction in emissions over the next eight, eight years or so. And um, people in the Green Party side think it should be at the higher end, 30%, and people on the agriculture side think it should be 22%. Um, Sinn Féin don't have a position and they argue we don't have a position on that because we haven't seen all of the data, so we can't come to a position on that. But surely, if you're, you know, if you're a policy or a party that is espousing, I suppose, greater um, reduction in emissions to meet that target, you you should you should have, you a, should policy have a policy, right? Get. You should have a policy how, how you're going to get there. And so, Sinn Fein's climate policy, even take for example. A recent uh, no confidence motion in the government, where um, Mary Lou Macdonald and Sinn Féin politicians stood up and heavily criticised the government for for its you know, failures over the last two years, didn't mention climate policy once, because they know that you can come back and be like, you don't even have one. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, they would argue they do have a climate policy, but I don't think it's a climate policy that's particularly well thought out or uh, seems to have. They, they, they don't, to my mind, they haven't put in the amount of work into their climate policy as they have into their housing. Is policy, that because they know that like more people care about housing? Yeah, I mean, look at all of the. There's a succession of opinion polls. Uh, the, the public's uh, concern for the climate crisis is not great. I don't think. Well, it might be great tonight. It might be like great tonight when they can't sleep. They can't uh, sleep. <laughs> it might be great in winter when they're freezing and they can't afford to pay their bills. But. 
you know, at the moment, I think people's, uh, you know, people might say they're concerned about climate change, but they might not necessarily want to vote for parties who say that you've got to really change the way you go about your life. And that's the crux of the problem. So yeah. we've done Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Féin. Do you want to uh, touch on the Greens and Labour? Mm. People? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so the Labour Party is actually the, uh, I mean, Sinn Féin might claim they're the oldest political party in the state because they were founded in 1905 by, by Arthur Griffith, but um, they split in the 1970s. So the Sinn Féin that exists today is the Sinn Féin that kind of emerged out of, out of the split in 1970. And that was to do with an abstentionist policy that Sinn Féin had adopted that they wanted, some of the party wanted to get rid of. Uh, abstaining from uh, you know the the Parliament in Northern Ireland and from the Dáil and from uh, the Parliament in Westminster, um, but uh, the Labour Party, founded in 1912 um, by James Connolly and others, and has uh, for decades, I suppose, been involved in. I think it's been involved in about eight different governments, and it's usually been as a coalition partner to Fine Gael, most recently between 2011 and 2016. And it was always a party that argued for much greater state intervention in the provision of public services, uh, greater social welfare rates, um, you know, greater, so uh, you know, greater access to health care, um, and I suppose again was very big on the socially liberal agenda. Um, you know, removing why are they called Labour? Was it about workers' rights or unions? Yeah, they were linked to the trade union movement, okay. and they are still linked to the trade union. Movement. They're kind of the official political party of the sort of mainstream trade union movement within Ireland. So they would have close links to the to SIP2, for example, and and uh, all those big trade unions in the country um, who would 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 in part fund them as well. Um, and I think that, um, you know, they're, as I said, they're a party that, that has really made their name on being more socially progressive than, than any of the other political parties. And so they've when always they're brought in a, a kind of a socially progressive element to uh, a government a that they're in coalition with. So, um, Which can't be undermined because, you know, like it, it, it's, it's useful for, uh, uh, well, this is showing my opinion, but <laughs> for a socially liberal party, if they're in coalition with someone who's not so liberal mm. on the right, that mm. if in, in a coalition they kind of drag them more to centre, so no one Absolutely. is getting too extreme. No, they they do, and one of the great frustrations of people who uh, people in the Labour Party is that they they tend to drag Fine Gael to the you know to the to the centre or to the left on on or to, to more socially liberal positions, and then Fine Gael go off and take all the credit for it, right? So, right. Okay. <laughs> Um, so take, for example, you know, marriage equality in, in 2015, that referendum. Um, Where Leo Varadkar became the face of it. Yeah, you could argue that for sure, yeah. And, but that and would have been fuelled more by the Labour Party in the, in the early well, stages. Well, the Labour Party would have ensured that that referendum took place. I mean, I always remember that the Labour leader at the time was Eamon Gilmore and he said uh, a year or two in advance of that referendum that it was the civil rights issue of a generation, marriage equality, um, you know, that gay people would be able to, to marry. And uh, Enda Kenny was asked about that later, and you know he's that Eamon Gilmore, who he was in coalition with, saw and Enda Kenny was a T-shirt that you know it was actually I I put it to him. I said you know that Eamon Gilmore has said that this is the civil rights issue of the generation. Do you believe it is? And and he he didn't. He he said housing or something like that was the, one of the, the big issues of, the, of this generation, which is fair enough. It's a point of view. But then, you know, within within a year, you know, he was totally on board with the idea of marriage equality, having been against it before. Uh, his party had been against it before. Even Leo Varadkar had been against gay marriage. Um, Leo Varadkar had been strongly anti-abortion, for example. And again, the Labour Party would have played a role in, in moving Fine Gael to a position of, of gradually liberalising abortion law in Ireland and then kind of setting the stage for the referendum in, in 2018. Um, 
Labour would have been opposed to the Eighth Amendment referendum in 1983, very strongly opposed to it. And, you know, they've had very strong liberal voices through the generations, people like Michael D. Higgins, the current oh, yeah, president. He's Labour, he's, yeah. He's Labour, yeah. He was a Labour minister. He was a Labour TD for many years. Um, uh, Mary Robinson, former president, also member, a former long-time Labour senator. So people who've been, you know, at the forefront of... Uh, major social changes in Ireland have, have generally had some cause or link to the, to the Labour movement, to the Labour Party. But Labour has become a, a shadow of its former self. Yeah, is, where are those voters who are those sort of, yeah, are they so, moving to? I mean, the Labour Party's collapse goes back to uh, kind of 2010, 2011, where it emerged as a strong political force because it was an alternative to Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And uh, Fianna Fáil were on their way out of office because they were in government and had been for 14 years and, and we were in the midst of a financial crisis and they were seen as the cause of it. And Fine Gael were on the rise, but you know a lot of voters weren't sure about Fine Gael, so they kind of you know, expressed a preference for, for the Labour Party. And there was even this idea that Eamon Gilmore, who was the Labour leader at the time, could become Taoiseach. There was these posters, Eamon Gilmore for, Gilmore for Taoiseach. Um, and in the run-up to the 2011 general election and in the final weeks of the campaign, there were polls that indicated that Fine Gael could win an overall majority. So that would mean that Fine Gael could go into government without any need for a coalition partner. So the Labour Party produced a poster and it's, it was called, it was kind of based on the Tesco Every Little Helps ad. And it was all of these things that they said that Fine Gael would introduce if they were in government on their own. Things like water charges, they would put up the price of a bottle of wine. So they're kind of appealing to sort of middle class voters um, who might like a bottle of wine and don't want to, uh, the, the cost of it to go up. Um, and that poster ended up becoming kind of a noose around its neck because it was a... Um, all of the things in the poster were pretty much implemented by the government that they uh, formed with Fine Gael subsequently over the following five years. So then they, so following that poster, they then went into coalition with Fine Gael and, and did all the Tesco things that they did said all they the, wouldn't. The, yes. Right, okay. So if ever there was a more, there's never been a more, in my time covering politics, there's never been a more vivid, vivid example of, of a broken promise, broken a, a series of broken promises. And Labour won 37 seats in 2011 and they won seven in 2016. Oh, wow. Um, so that gives you an indication of the degree to which the voters took out their wrath on the Labour Party. And they haven't recovered since then. They've been through a succession of leadership changes. In 2020, they won, I think, six or seven seats. So they, they, they haven't really recovered from that period. And there's now really fundamental questions about whether the party can survive um, and, and whether it, it can remain relevant when it's kind of been completely squeezed on the left. I mean, Sinn Féin is now the dominant opposition party and Labour is, is kind of fighting for relevance with, uh, with another party, which we can talk about if you want, the Social Democrats who are yeah. made up... M Primarily, and we're only Social Democrats were only formed seven years ago, but they're made up primarily of disaffected former members of the Labour Party. Okay. Um, right, okay. So uh, the Social Democrats' uh, co-leaders are Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthall, both former members of the Labour Party. Roisin Shorthall was in the Labour Party up until about ten years ago. And is that um, sort of a quick? We need to pivot because of the because our brand is so damaged, or do they fundamentally disagree with something that? You mean Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthall? Yes. Or, yeah, they. Well, they, they uh, each of them would have left. Did Stephen the Donnelly not have some. Stephen part Donnelly in that? was also involved with that party. Yeah. Right, so right. Uh, Catherine Murphy would have left the Labour, the Labour Party uh, many years ago over a, a 
kind of a, a kind of a historic split more than anything, and, and I think it was a personality difference. Roisin Shorthall left the Labour Party in 2012 because she disagreed with some of the things that Fine Gael were doing in the Department of Health, where she was a, a junior minister at the time, uh, and she she quit the Labour Party, and so she came together with Catherine and Stephen Donnelly, who was an independent TD at the time, to form the Social Democrats in 2015. And this was a party that was, as the name suggests, a social democratic party uh, that argued, again, for greater state intervention and in particular very, very strong on things like health care. Uh, Roisin Shorthold would have chaired that committee that agreed the Slauncher care reforms uh, five years ago. Uh, they would have argued for a real state intervention in childcare and so on and so forth. And just the real focus away from uh, potentially cutting taxes into just greater provision of public services and a real kind of social democratic state built on sort of the idea of what we have in Sweden and Denmark, for example, where people get really great services, but they pay a little bit more tax. Um, But in that sense, like, are all of the left parties not social democrats? Like, are they not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Labour would argue they're a social, social democratic Democrat. party as well. Um, but it's, the, I suppose, it's the, it's the degree to which you you believe which that's the forefront of that's uh, your thing. What's the forefront of your thinking? I mean, I don't say so. Uh, the social democrats, for example, I don't think they would be as big on social issues like, say, for example, an issue at the moment like trans rights. Social democrats wouldn't really have a strong policy on that, whereas the Labour Party perhaps would. Right. Okay. Um, no, they wouldn't have a strong policy on it either way. Just sort of like we're yeah, not going to interfere in that. I, I spoke. I interviewed Catherine Murphy, Murphy and Roshan Shorthall recently, and they just didn't seem to have a, a, a particularly strong position on the issue. Um, whereas some people within the party believe that social democrats should be much more to the forefront of, of that um, debate, if you want to call it a debate. You know, some people argue it shouldn't be a debate, but nonetheless, it is an issue. Um, it is an issue as to you know the extent to which governments should be involved in those uh, those matters. And I suppose some people think the social democrats should have a stronger position on that. Some of members think that. Can I ask a more broad question that's kind of touching on that? So mm. does a party need to have a position on, so say Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, very broad parties, they have seats of, like in very many constituencies, mm. is made up of, you know, people of, bo- of of all genders and of all age groups. How difficult is it? Like, so it's easy for maybe the Labour Party with six seats to take a very clear stance on like, this is our united opinion on this trans issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in one of the bigger parties, how important is it to have a party line on like, this is how we feel about abortion? Or mm. if you don't, like, let's say, you know, with Fianna Fáil during the abortion referendum, very many of their politicians were coming out saying, I'm absolutely against this. But then others were saying, I'm absolutely pro this. Mm. So as a party, the message kind of gets diluted mm. and you kind of don't know how, like, how important is it for a party to have a, a, a party line on something? Um, for the electorate? For the electorate, I think it's important, yeah. Um, uh, but I think perhaps the electric, electorate has matured a little bit on that issue that they don't believe that parties should stick, should, should so rigidly enforce what's known as the whip, um, on which is basically the party line on an issue and which way a party should vote on an issue and that everyone in that party should vote that way. Um, I think you've, you've seen that that has been loosened a little bit over the last years and so particularly, as, as you said, you know, kind of abortion where Fianna Fáil, there were some members who were against um, the referendum uh, passing and some members who were very very much for it. Um, but 
I, I think for voters, yeah, they, they look, they like to know what they're, if they're voting for a political party, they like to know what they stand for. But our, the Irish electors, and I suppose the Irish political system is different in a way in that we have a, we have a very strong connection to our local TD because constituencies are, are reasonably small, are, are small by kind of international standards. You look at the UK, for example, I think there's one MP per 60,000 of the population. Constitutionally in Ireland, it has to be one TD per 30,000 of the population. You have constituencies where there are three, four, five TDs from different political parties, and people have a connection to their TD. They, they would engage with their TD when they need them for a passport, for example, <laughs> or when they need to yeah, get a, get a jump up a waiting list or whatever, or when they, they're trying to get a medical card or, 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 or things like that. Um, and I think that sort of connection with their TD means that they like to know where their TD stands on a particular issue, and they wouldn't necessarily vote for the you know the political party without knowing who the TD in their in their area is. Now, that changed a little bit in 2020 where people just voted for Sinn Féin because they wanted to vote for Sinn Féin. They didn't even know who the candidate was in their constituency. We had all sorts of mad stories about Sinn Féin candidates who, had, I think, four of Sinn Féin's current TDs, or at least three anyway, uh, had lost their council seats in, in 2019. Um, they weren't particularly <laughs> strong politicians, but because of the Sinn Féin brand in 2020, they top the poll. There was that sense that like anyone could have run. Yeah, you, you, yeah. Like, a couple of them didn't even do campaign. I know a woman, was it in, in Kildare, Kildare? Patricia Ryan was on holiday during the campaign. Holidays. Yeah, she had a, she'd booked a holiday before the election and uh, before the election was called and she, and she went ahead and went on her holiday and she still topped the poll. Um, but historically, Irish people have been very connected to their local TD and I think that they like to know where they stand on a particular issue. I don't think they necessarily, you know, uh, but but of course, when you're voting for a political party, you like to know where they stand on a particular issue. Um, and parties take a different position depending on the issue as to the extent to which they'll punish their TDs for voting against the party position. So some TDs will be banished from the party entirely forever. Um, that happened to a couple of Fine Gael TDs when, when they voted against abortion legislation in, um, in 2013. But the Green Party, for example, two of their TDs recently voted against a a government's motion on the National Maternity Hospital and uh, the new National Maternity Hospital and they've been suspended for six months and they're expected to return to the Green Party within within a few weeks. Um, on the Green Party, mm. just uh, because for me, the Green Party are just like agricultural and carbon issues, you know? Do mm. they have, um, outside of that, a kind of a broad brand of... You know, economic and social policy. Yeah, I mean, I think their their economic and social policy would be t- tied to to the climate issue. You know, so they believe, for example, that the uh, you know the, there's different factions within the Green Party who believe slightly different things. So there's some people in the Green Party who, um, you know, don't think the carbon tax is the and increases in the carbon tax is the best way to go about achieving uh, climate action, but. You know, the Green Party position, the, the, the formal position is that the, the carbon tax and the increases that, that are coming into effect over successive, successive budgets in, in the next few years, that that should go towards the um, provision of uh, retrofitting and that it should go towards, uh, say, the fuel allowance, for example, to help households that most need uh, support to pay their fuel bills in, in winter. Um, and they, they're quite socially liberal as well. So Roderick O'Gorman, who's the Children and Equality Minister, he would have been, he's a long-time member of the Green Party. In fact, he joined the Green Party when he was 10. Oh, <laughs> well, he canvassed for the Green Party when he was 10, he, and he joined, I think, when he was in college. But um, he would have been responsible, I think, for driving that sort of socially liberal agenda within the Green Party uh, that kind of ensured that it wasn't just a party about um, 
recycling. Recycling, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and so, for example, when the Greens were last in government in, in 2007, um, between 2007 and 2011 with, with Fianna Fáil, it was, um, it was a government that kind of ended disastrously because of what happened to the country. But they would have... Um, the Greens would have pushed for civil partnership legislation, which was kind of the precursor to, to same-sex marriage. Um, so they would have pushed that kind of socially liberal agenda uh, with, within the party. And in general, I think the, you know, the Greens would believe in in sort of uh, creating a taxation system that essentially punishes people who emit more carbon. So, you know, motor tax on higher motor tax on cars that, that emit that have higher emissions. Um, you know, carbon tax on fossil fuels uh, that obviously have very high emissions and I suppose incentivizing people to use lower emitting forms of transport. So, for example, there's been a, a, a reduction in public transport fares across the country and that's a, a Green Party policy that they've driven with a view to try and get more people out of their car and onto buses and trains and trams. It is interesting though, isn't it, that like when you're in coalition... It's easier for the larger parties to take credit for those for those ways. Well, that's the thing, and I find even my day to day work, you often get people in the Green Party kind of saying to me, you know, make sure that you mention us as having been a strong proponent of that of policy, that. because yeah. I mean, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will happily claim credit for the reduction in public transport fares because I think it's been a very popular policy. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's been driven by the Green Party. The Green Party, Erin uh, Ryan, their leader, is the transport minister. So he's driven that agenda. But other parties like to take credit for that. And you, you always find that in coalition governments. And I think you'll, you'll find that, that, that the most popular Green Party policies, and, and Roderick O'Gorman, who I mentioned, is the children's minister, and he's pledging to cut the cost of childcare over the next two years in half. Um, you know, you'll find that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will want to claim credit for that as well. Um before I let you go, I know there are other parties that there we, are. we we should talk about. Um, which which ones do you want to mention? I also want to ask you: Do we have any far right parties in this country, and how are they doing? Uh, we, I mean, they exist on paper. I think there's the the National Party. Um, you know, that there are some far right parties that have kind of emerged onto ballot papers over the years, but they they haven't gone anywhere. And I think one of the it's it's one of the great things I think about Ireland is that we haven't drifted, we haven't had that sort of um, that the creation of a sort of element. You know, there are always people within a society who do believe that, for example, we shouldn't have a, 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 a the immigration policy that we have. So, for you know, the we shouldn't let people in. We, should so we shouldn't let people Ireland in. Yeah, people. Ireland is for Irish people. There's always going to be people who believe that, but there doesn't seem to be any uh, political movement that has emerged that in any way is taking hold. Is taking hold, even winning a, a dull seat or anything like that. Um, and I, I think that's a great strength of of Ireland, really, that we are prepared to to have a very open door. I mean, look look at with the Ukrainian refugee uh, crisis. We've had forty two thousand refugees arrive since February, and we have opened our doors to them. Um, you know, in in a very generous way, I think. And now there's all sorts of questions and issues around the um, the provision of accommodation, whether the state's doing enough on that front. But there isn't really any any far right political parties in Ireland that are worth talking about it. There are, on the left, there are people for profit um, and there are uh, the uh, left-wing independent TDs. I suppose one 
political force that we should talk about is the independent, um, because that op- you know th- th- there are in- there are a number of independent. There's well over a dozen independent TDs in the current Dáil, and there were there were I think at one stage in, in recent years there were about twenty five, thirty independent TDs, and I think that's a strong political brand that exists within Ireland that we should probably spend a little bit of time talking about before we finish up. The independent TD, I suppose, is someone who's locked into their constituency. Uh, is is motivated solely by uh, constituency issues. Um, they talk about uh, national issues that are most relevant to their constituents. Um, and I suppose the most uh, the strongest political brand there is is the Healy Rays in Kerry. Right. So Michael Healy Ray was the sort of the father figure of that um, empire. Empire. Yeah. Um, he was uh, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil gene pool. Uh, he tried to run for the party in 1997 and he was thwarted. He was a long serving member of Fianna Fáil in Kerry and he was thwarted in his attempt to run for the party in the 97 general election. So he ran as an independent and he topped the poll and a succession of Healy Rays have topped the poll in Kerry uh, ever since then. Um, and that is primarily because they are solely focused on constituency matters and delivering for the people of Kerry. So Michael Healy Ray would have, or, or Jackie Healy Ray rather, would have um, delivered a huge amount for the people of Kerry in terms of uh, he would have negotiated deals with the Fianna Fáil government at the time that would, would have ensured millions ploughing into the constituency, improvements in roads, improvements in services. Uh, improvements in hospitals, all these kinds of things that benefited the people of Kerry. So that kind of strong political brand, constituency focused, and you've seen that replicated in other constituencies where there are independentees who frequently do very well because they're very focused on delivering for their constituents in a way that I suppose they don't have to focus too much on national issues because they're not a member of a political party. They're not required to go out and bat for that political party. They can just focus on their constituents. Is there not a sort of an impotence though? Like obviously the Healy Rays are not impotent. They get Mm. so much done. Mm. But why would you choose to be an independent? Like you're always going to be in opposition. Not true though. Not true? No. Well, I mean, yes, primarily. But if you take the last government before this one, there was a Fine Gael minority government with with independents and there was a number of independent TDs who served the cabinet, Shane Ross, uh, Fine McGrath. Uh, and he had junior ministers like John Halligan and Sean Canney and Kevin Boxer-Morin. And again, these were independent TDs who, um, you know, Shane Ross was the Minister for Transport and we can debate how effective he was. But, I mean, certainly, um, you know, he would have fo- he, he would have ensured that some of his constituency issues were dealt with as part of the programme for government, most n- notoriously and famously the, the step-aside Garda station, which had been closed in 2011, that getting that reopened again in his constituency was very important matter for him and he, he ensured it got done. So, But he didn't get a seat then? He, no, he did, you're right, he lost his seat, yeah. So it, it swings in roundabouts and, you know, Finney McGrath, the other member of the cabinet there, uh, he... Um, he didn't run in the last election. Uh, he retired, and you know he, his seat probably would have been in doubt. But you know, take Catherine Zappone for example, uh, another independent TD. Uh, she was part of that government, and she uh, she negotiated uh, into that program for government a, a commitment to set up a, a citizens' assembly to uh, consider the issue of uh, the Eighth Amendment and abortion rights, and that precipitated the the the, the referendum on that in 2018. So. Independent TDs have have found a way to operate within government that both benefits, uh, you know, national. There are both benefits nationally, but also benefits for their own cons- constituency as well. But obviously, yeah, they they don't always keep their seat because being in government requires hard choices sometimes, and the voters don't always aren't always prepared to reward uh, TDs for that. Um, well, I think that is that's a 
a brief one-on-one of uh, yeah. of the political... Have we missed? Well... I mean, we have. We've missed a few. I mean, as I mentioned people for profit briefly. They're a very uh, far-left party who argue uh, strongly in favour of... Socialism. Uh, socialism, effectively, that the state would own everything. The state would own banks. Uh, you know, we'd tax millionaires. Um, and I suppose we would... Much greater free public transport is one of their policies, actually, which I think is a very interesting policy. And again, uh, but like, you're, so you're taxing millionaires? That's fine. Mm. I mean, there's a question to be asked about how realistic their yeah, policies would be and how deliverable they would be, given that history tells us that socialism in its purest form hasn't really worked ever, ever. Um, but certainly, I think that there is a lot to be said for some of some of the policies they espouse. Not least, I think free public transport is one of those policies that I think is, it merits consideration in circumstances where you're trying to get people out of their cars and onto forms of public transport. I don't are. think anyone is not choosing public transport because of the cost of it. I think people just don't want it. Like if it's free, it's also going to be more busy. That's true. Busier. But then you just do more of it, right? Yeah, but like we don't even have like do we have <laughs> enough Lewises? Remember when the two Lewises didn't connect? Yeah, true, true enough. So that that's that's a kind of a brief rundown, I think, of, of all of the political parties. Thank you so much for that. Um I will people will listen to this and then I'm sure they'll have follow up questions um which I can ask. Uh we, maybe we'll do something else. Um closer to the election. Can I ask, do you think that we'll get to the next general election? As in will we get one soon? No, as in, do you think we'll then this government will make it on t- for the next two I, I and a half years? I do, yeah, I do. I think it will make it because I don't see that there is. I, I don't think any of the three parties within the, the government uh, wants a general election anytime soon. I think their dull majority is bigger than is it is when it's stripped back to its barest form, where they they do appear to be in the minority, but they do have a lot of support from independents and people who are temporarily outside of the government parties because they voted against them. So I, I think this government will last the, the full the full run, um, and there'll be an election in late twenty four or early twenty twenty five. But I could be wrong. A week because is a long time a, in politics. A week is a long time in politics. Exactly. Thank you so very much. That is Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent for the Sunday Independent, the Independent, Independent and Media Weeks in general. Um, that is another episode of Basically. Um, our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara, and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.